Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to AppSlyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. Welcome everybody to Twig 170 after a shit ton of malfunction. Uh, we got this working. I was last week in Spain and my, my, my microphone is the, in manana time. So it's, the, it's not... The, the problem is you're running <laughs> Windows XP. You gotta, you gotta update the OS, my friend. This is, this is the latest Windows. I don't even know which one this is, but uh, thank you everybody for change, like helping me define gains. I've been looking for gains all the time, but apparently they were just in this setting. Your gains are all in your biceps, not in your audio levels. Again, you spend more time podcasting than you do hanging out with your family. How can you not have a setup that's set up? I don't know. It just, it just, it, 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 it just evaporated after yesterday's uh, episode. By the way, talking about podcasting, Ethan's second podcast today. Second of the day. I had a wonderful podcast with uh, Andrew Green and Gabby Dyson that I'm looking yeah. forward to launching. That was fun. Yeah. Shout out to you. We, we were supposed to do this uh, tokenomics episode, and when Ethan dropped the other uh, questions, 
I was like, huh, not joining this one because I don't even know what you guys are talking about. And then there was a link to a VentureBeat article. What's the company, Andrew Green? Strider. Uh, it's actually one of my news stories, news updates today. Okay. Anyways, Ethan, we'll talk about it today. We're also going to talk about this is this is highly anticipated, highly, highly anticipated. Matthew Wolf, a.k.a. <laughs> the Crypto Czar, has spoken. Uh, Eric Kress has been waiting for this for months, and the audience of this podcast has been waiting for this for month, uh, for months, and now it's finally here. Uh, I'm I'm very very excited about this. <laughs> I think people might be a little bit disappointed, but we'll we'll, we'll see. <laughs> okay, just continue <laughs> listening, and uh, we're also going to talk about uh, IMX token tumbling as GameStop appears to dump 42 million from Immutable X Grant. I didn't understand half of that. I, if we have time, uh, <laughs> I'll explain it. It's really funny. Okay. It's hilarious. Okay. And and, uh, and naturally, there was, a, there was a blog post from Supercell CEO, Il Kapananen, always covering that one. Very interesting blog post, as always. So we'll, we'll talk about that. The crew is here. We got Ethan, the crypto kid. We got Eric Kress ready to fire. We got Adam and myself, Mishkir Hatkoff. Who's so, on a brief start? Adam's on a brief break from taking care of the children. Yeah. so we'll see how long. Thirty lasts. minutes. <laughs> 30, Thirty minutes left. Uh, let, let's go fast. Oh, well, one one update that I wanted to before we we get out of this. So, Istanbul event is now forming up, meaning that the page is live. You can find it in the description below, so you can sign up uh, to join that. There's going to be the whole crew except Adam, who has two kids, can't be joining. But Sufer's going to be there. Chris going to be there. We got some wonderful speakers from Chris Petrovic to uh, Elad Kushner to Joachim Akran to you name it. So it's going to be a full house. More speakers are joining um, lately, uh, not lately, in uh, in a short amount of time. So I'm just you know kind of like adding the uh, the last last uh, last talks there. But it's going to be mainly fireside chats. It's going to be a lot of cool uh, smaller events. And just hanging out, and we are planning to do a live twig for the first time. So shout out to Google for sponsoring all of this. We are super excited, especially for the live twig. Uh, should be fun times down in Istanbul. All right, um, let's go to updates. Um, all right, uh, well, I, apparently my updates are first here. So uh, MiHoYo has launched a cross-media brand, HoYoVerse. Uh, I mean, I, it's, I sound horrible saying this. Anyway, their mission is to create virtual world that integrates games, anime, and other d diverse types of entertainment, which will provide players with high-level freedom and immersion. The details are scarce about all of this at this stage, but it's mentioning that the... Uh, the, uh, the studio's existing offering, including Genshin Impact, Honkai Impact Third, Tears of the Themis, Themis uh, and also virtual YouTuber Lumi and its Nova desktop app will be as anime, manga, light novels, and music, among others. So Hoyoverse is to pursue cross-media efforts via offices in Montreal, LA, Singapore, Tokyo, and Seoul. And sounds very, very big, sounds very interesting. And of course, Genshin Impact generated $2 billion worldwide last year. So they can take some, some heavy hits at, at the, uh, the metaverse. So I think this is their metaverse approach. Um, any comments? No? I think they do. If you, I think if you make $2 billion a year, you can scale to the point of talking about the metaverse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like a bar, that. right? <laughs> that, that's Roblox, a bar. Fortnite, sure. Yeah. You know, Genshin could be one. I mean, I, I love anime games. Uh, mm -hmm. They make some of the best. Uh, and obviously, they're world class at live ops and have like a million people doing art for their games. Like, it's really hard to compete with Genshin yeah. in any way, shape, or form. So, it, I don't understand what this will be, but 
I'm interested to find out. Uh, Walled Garden. I heard that uh, word on the streets of, of, I don't know if they're from Shanghai or Beijing, probably from Shanghai, is that their latest game has 2,000 developers uh, working on it. So. Yeah, so they're swinging it. Um, anyway, so talking about... Okay, next update, Triple Dot Studio has raised $116 million for mobile games. The financing round was led by 20VC, uh, given to a London-based casual game maker, a valuation of $1.4 billion. Uh, the company aims to use the money to build its portfolio of games and pursue acquisition. The company focused on data-driven decision-making to create chart-topping titles targeted at players over 30. That means word games, card games, a lot of ad monetization. I, I, I am not familiar with Triple Dot. I've heard of them, but I can't say that, oh, that's the $1 billion company. So I kind of started searching on, you know, doing a little analysis of Sensor Tower. Um, you know, I think, yeah, this is all-time downloads are at $77 million, which is, you know, nothing to sneeze at, but it's also not like an outrageous amount. At the same time, the uh, the all-time revenues are... Um, well, that's, they're pretty low. They're like at around a million. Right, but that, that's the IAP revenue, not yeah, the ad revenue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so this, this means is, this, this is hyper casual. This is hyper casual crap, though. Why? Why are they getting a well, one point four? I don't think. I don't Dude, think this the is life hyper is, casual. Yeah, I don't think. What are you it's talking about? It's 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 voodoo and fucking solitaire right. and blackjack, dude. The, those games have long yeah. retention for exactly the audience. It's not like um, Flappy Bird or something else. You know, Flippy yeah. Bottle. Yeah. So. Exactly. So it's like the peak portfolio, um, the first acquisition, right? Like the first half yeah. that went to Zynga. Um, yeah, for 100. Solitaire. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, so their top games are Blackjack, you know, nothing, you know, not very innovative, but not the type of Blackjack that makes a lot of, you know, purchase money. It seems to be Blackjack that, that is ad monetized. Solitaire is their second game, and the th- first one is Wudoku. I'm not sure, but it looks like a word game. And, if, and, and those are pretty much their three games. Um, that's that's my IAP yeah. revenue. I'm sure would yeah, Wudoku, Solitaire, and Blackjack probably have the most yeah. downloads, the most retention. I mean, my experience from running Tetris is that the ad revenue on a game like this that has for the audience, you know, really good retention. Once you, I mean, it doesn't have like midcore mm-hmm. retention, but like the people who play it daily will stick around for a long time, and and you can make a surprise substantial amount of money from ad revenue. What do you, what do you reckon a game like Wudoku with fifty million downloads is making? I, um, I I would say it's making multiple million dollars a month in ad revenue. That's yeah. my guess. So, so, anyways, probably well retaining, uh, but but still, the valuation of one point four billion was a little that's bit a surprising, yeah. and that's a high because you know like. Just looking at the like, we can't see naturally ad ad revenue numbers, but but looking at the downloads, it wasn't that amount. Like it wasn't like three hundred million downloads. So um, so definitely, you know, uh, uh, good for them. Let's just say that good for them. Um, and the uh, the other piece of news was that Free Fire and Free Fire Max were removed from Apple App Store and Google Play Store. So I kind of missed this. There was some de- some conversation on the Deconstructor Fun Slack channel. Uh, I looked at my my phone; it seems to be there. Uh, I but but I think it's still missing in the Indian store uh, from the Indian App Store because Garena was bundled as a Chinese developer, even though their HQ is in 
Singapore and the game, like the majority of the, I don't know if it's a majority of the development, but at least the uh, the main studio for Garena Free Fire is from Vietnam. But but India was like, that's Chinese enough. Like we're <laughs> we're banning it. So so they kind of got bundled with uh, with with everything because China banned over fifty apps and Garena Free Fire was including in those. Now I'm not sure if it's back there, uh, but at least it, both of the apps are back on the uh, on you know the uh, the Western uh, App Store. But nevertheless, um, yeah, dude. Sea Games, their parent is getting absolutely freaking annihilated, dude. It's down like sixty percent. <laughs> so in the stock, something's going on, right? Like yeah. they need they need a pipeline, right? Show me a pipeline type thing. Give me some more yeah. games. Like Garena's not doing it, and now they're getting yeah. Well, Garena is Garena's doing really well. When this news first broke, I thought it was because of, you know, if you're if you operate in Southeast Asia or in Latin America and other countries where. Where the credit cards are not as um, widely um, widely dispersed, you have to have different types of monetization systems, and I'm sure that that uh, Garena and the parent company is very good at alternative monetization channels. And I just thought that hmm, maybe Apple was and Google were kind of getting a whiff of something. I don't know. I don't know if this is true. Don't blame me. This is just me kind of like doing a hypothesis. And, uh, and that led to the banning, but um, apparently it wasn't any of that. And I don't even know if they do any kind of uh, outside app store monetization. This is just a hypothesis. So so <laughs> anyway, uh, final one, uh, just a shout out to Iron Source. The revenue rose by 67% to 553 million. Um, so they are the longtime friends of the podcast and sponsors. So looking good for them and i know that eric crest called them that they're looking at the, the barrel stock, of the gun at again, some point the stock is down 40 percent, right <laughs> it is and all these guys all these guys are getting annihilated because their valuations are ridiculous right mm. because they're fucking advertising companies they're not Damn. enterprise software companies like and i'm going to talk about all of them in a minute right this is like okay they, the froth is gone right now it's <sighs> now it's we're talking to actually game companies that make money so, okay well take the stage apparently i should have you mean make money the, uh, now the because of the interest rate changes yeah well ethan what do you got all right i i've heard the feedback i'm i'm gonna just a little sprinkle of crypto news i'm gonna bring you some standard <laughs> free-to-play pc console triple a standard twig news with just a juge just a juge of crypto news on top <laughs> sprinkle of, yeah. of nft yeah <laughs> um so the the first piece of news is that nexon is going to bring dungeon and fighter to mobile on march 24th and if you're not familiar dungeon and fighter is one of the most successful games worldwide and one of the kind of original pc net cafe free-to-play hits this is a game i was studying 15 years ago at EA, and I'm just amazed that it's taken this game this long to get to mobile. Um, if you're unfamiliar, it's basically a free-to-play version of the classic Capcom side-scroller uh, D&D titles, so Tower of Doom and Shadow Over Mysteria. They took that basic gameplay, turned it into a uh, free-to-play game, and, and here from Wikipedia... DNF is one of the most played and highest grossing video games of all time, exceeding a total of 700 million players worldwide and having grossed over 15 billion in lifetime revenue as of May 2020. So I, I, I'm excited to see it on mobile. I don't know what took so long, but uh, uh, it's a great game and a huge... But it, it's also only done well, I mean, done extremely well in korea and uh, china right yeah and you can make a lot of money with the mobile game in korea and china 
Um, so I, I just don't understand what's taking so long, but I'm excited to see it. Um, second, second news story I want to highlight is, uh, there was a piece on Polygon called Star Citizen Still Doesn't Live Up to Its Promise and Players Don't Care. And Star Citizen is just one of the most interesting things in gaming. I almost feel like it was a, a crypto game before crypto existed. Um... So the article, so just some some facts about Star Citizen if you haven't been following it. This game has been in development for over 10 years and it's still not really at like even an alpha stage. It has raised in that 10 years over $400 million in crowdfunding and investment, uh, which is just an amazing uh, business success for a game that most people look at and think is kind of a joke. And, and the the thrust of the article is that even though the playable world and the single player game aren't even at beta stage yet, there's a lot more to the game than you might think if you've only been reading the headlines that that rag on Star Citizen. Um, and uh, uh, I, I feel like I should give this game a shot and understand it and understand what the overlap is. But I'm frankly amazed that players have stuck with Star Citizen for this long. Uh, and I expect a lot of successful crypto games to follow this sort of path. Where you're like, uh, I don't understand. This game still isn't out, but it's made hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, final news story: uh, Strider has raised three million to use blockchain DAOs to enable game creators. So this is my crypto story of the week. I just want to say congratulations to my friend Andrew Green on the three million dollar raise from his latest venture. Uh, if you read this venture beat article, like Mishka, you might be bewildered and have no idea. <laughs> absolutely no idea what the words mean did you what did you feel like when you read this article i i uh, we so we were we were supposed to uh record this uh, as a tokenomics episode me you and and um andrew and the, gabby uh, from from ygg exactly andrew yeah but i was ygg yes and um and i went to the venture beat article i'm like all right so let's 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 read about this company that just got funded and i texted andrew i was like andrew i understood 10 percent of that of that, <laughs> of that thing <laughs> So I'm not coming. It was it was nonsense. Like for people who have who are not, you know, super deep into blockchain, blockchain or blockchain gaming, I suggest you read it. And if you don't understand any of it, you well, make me happy. Be- better. Otherwise, I feel dumb. Better than reading it. Listen to Tokenomics episode four, which will appear in your podcast yeah. feed soon, exactly. where I attempt to exactly. use normal English words that you understand to demystify what DAOs are yeah. and what Andrew and Gabby are doing with uh, Strider. And uh, just my prediction is before long, we're going to use Strider to launch the Deconstructor Fund DAO, and we'll launch a token called Destructies. And every episode you listen to, you'll earn Destructies, and you can spend them to send flaming bags Ethan, of poop to my doorstep. Are we going to jail? Like, what are, you, are we going to jail? Like, this will be a British Virgin Island. This will be a British Virgin Island subsidiary of Deconstructor of Fun. I feel, I feel like I'm going to jail for the longest time. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to rat on you on this. Like, like, all right, all right. That's my crypto story. I'm Eric, done. Eric, how is Lost Ark? How many hours you put in? Miska, you stomped on his joke. You can't stomp on his joke. That was actually no, a good joke. I didn't joke. really get I prolonged joke, it. I prolonged it. I prolonged no, it. You right. stomped on it. So, so just here's, here's, the, here's the thing. You're going to be able to use these tokens to send me flaming bags of poo with a little note on it that says, crypto games aren't real games. That's all you can do. So join the De- Deconstructor of Fun DAO, powered by Strider. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I, I, I honestly look forward to hearing it because I read that article and I was completely baffled. 
Um, all right. <laughs> Good to hear. So this is going to be a, a very short snippet positive and a very long snippet negative. So I'm starting positive. First of all, Lost Ark is digital crack. It's <laughs> absolutely amazing game, dude. Uh, not sure if I stick out long term at the end game, but I'm definitely getting to level cap and 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 le- and gearing up and doing what you do in an MMO. Um, the game is gorgeous. There's lots of unique characters, like character classes and subclasses. The uh, combat is really visceral. I hate using that word, but, and 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 fulfilling in a lot of ways. And the progression systems are so fucking insane that I, it just blows my mind. And it's clearly a, a game that's been around for a long time in Asia because it's completely built out um, and, and and ready to go. And I, I, my understanding is they have tons of content that's not even included in the re- this release that are, it's available in Asia that they'll be able to update over time. So if you want a amazing looter shooter, not a looter shooter, but you know what I'm saying, shooter, let me say, looter MMO style game, upgrade Evo, yeah, 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 do it. It's awesome. I will highly recommend. Uh, Elden Ring is out next week. I'm definitely going to try to plan to try that one. Um, and uh, and that's all I got from the positive. So I, I, I want to I want to hear like an hour by hour of, of <laughs> you playing Elden Ring and struggling, <laughs> struggling I, through the and make sure like you can't go on and get a mod like you have to wait a little bit like at least try the boss like a few times before you cheat. No, no, I. That, this is my biggest failing with From Software games is the minute you have to try and try again on boss, I'm like, it's over, right? And then I hit the tilde button and start putting in cheats, dude, immediately. But we will see. We will see. I, I am going to give it a shot because it is open world. They seemed, It seemed to have dumbed it down a little bit for Mr. Kress. Um, so we'll so the only way that they dumbed it down is that you can run away from things. Oh. <laughs> so I almost want to watch a live stream of you. Going like no. running up to the boss and just being like, fuck this, run away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm booting up the MMO. Yeah, I mean, that, yep. that might yep, happen, yep. dude. Um, all right. All right, moving on. Earnings updates. Now, I, I generally don't do this very often because I, I don't want this to be an earnings podcast at all. Um, but because of what's going on in the business and, and the market as a whole, I think it's super relevant. I don't know, maybe not. But uh, these companies are getting fucking annihilated right now. Um, it, it, it is, it is, it is fucking a bloodbath. Okay. So first of all, Roblox. Okay. Roblox was down like 26% after Q4 release, right? Which is what billions and billions, like, I don't know, five or 6 billion. Sorry, I didn't do the math, but it's down like 50% from its high. I mean, they were at like 70, 60 billion, 70 billion at one point. So $35 billion of lost value in the last you know, eight months. It's like, it's Herculean. Now, this is partially due to an overall like correction in these high flyers, these complete speculative type stocks. Um, but in a, but it is exactly what I've been saying all this time is that they are missing, uh, they missed their top line bookings in Q4 and they missed their earnings estimates. And on the po- top, and the, and the monetization is, it was disappointing generally for Q4. But, Again, I have always been of the mind, and I think I've said this in the podcast, is that 2021 should be fine, right? They came in a little soft, but overall 2021 is great. But I don't see how they can grow and on the tough comp in 2022. And all the data is kind of suggesting that their slow growth rates are slowing. And the, the reason is, is because they are not getting that growth in 
foreign countries, geo, and they're not expanding their demo, right? And that's what I've been saying for like since the very, very beginning on this company. And I just think that the, t the comps are going to get tougher and tougher outside of for US and tier one English and growing geo is going to be really, really a struggle for Roblox. Um, and so that that's where they're at, right? So we'll see if they can pull it out and, and build a better mousetrap uh, before Epic comes out with their stuff. But I feel a little bit vindicated on Roblox. Anyone have any comments on Roblox? Well, like, I just want to get your sense of, of the market as a whole, because obviously even just the S&P is being hit pretty hard right now by uh, interest rates and the shift in focus from growth-based companies, technology companies towards, you know, companies that actually make proper earnings right now. Um, does that, is is there a baseline here, like 26% down, but also there's other companies that are taking similar hits right now. Um, how do you compare that 26% to that baseline? Well, it's just all about like the speculative valuations on things that, that, you know, that, that what I've been saying is that they, they have to hit this like 30 or 20 to 30% growth rate in perpetuity in order to justify these valuations. And people are starting to realize that that's probably likely not possible. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, but, but do you think that the majority of this stock hit was due to that was too high expectations not being able to hit or is it also due to the fact of the market shifting its uh, focus? It, 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 it's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. To okay. Say. It'll be interesting. But, it feels but, like Rec Room and uh, Core and other metaverse plays probably raised money at the right time because I bet the valuation you can get is directly tied to the market cap of Roblox. A hundred percent. And that's what I've been saying is that these valuations are so insane. Like if you don't raise money now, you're moronic, right? Just fucking do it, right? Maybe whatever you can do, raise money now because these valuations are not going to be around forever. Now, what that creates is a huge overhang, right? So all these valuations that were set at these high le levels now the multiples have, have contracted for all these companies. And so the exit or the M&A is going to be much, much more challenging to get uh, above the prior valuations, right? But in theory, you have so much money on the books, spend it wisely so that you can build over time and hopefully build a real business, right? Um, so we'll see. Uh, the second company that I do want to talk about is AppLovin'. Um, again, I mean, AppLovin' was basically being valued like an enterprise software company. They're a fucking ad tech company, okay? I mean, it's like, I mean, they're an amazing ad tech company, but they were getting all the evaluation based upon the revenue from their from their games, right? And as if that's an enterprise software revenue, which it's not, it's game revenue, right? So they're, I've said this a million times, they're trading at 30 times revenue versus Zynga was trading at like, you know, four times revenue, right? When they're exactly the same company, like with an ad tech component. Um, so anyway, they app level was down. Actually, it's a little bit better, but uh, it was down almost 20% after hours after the Q4 release, primarily related to a, a, the outlook, right? The outlook actually brought up enterprise revenue and brought down the software of, of, of the games revenue. But the irony is <laughs> that's what was fueling all their growth. So their major area of growth of the size of their business is based upon the gaming revenue. And so that made their overall expectations down uh, 6% below what consensus was. Um, uh, so what I've been saying all along is this, the, the, my primary driver of this business is, is games and games are not doing as well as they expected. Um, well, will likely not do as well as they expected. 
what they need is some big hits coming out and their last couple of releases have not really scaled all that significantly. Um, so we'll see. But they are down 50% uh, based on, on the value based on last November. Um, and they're basically now below, way below the IPO price of 80 bucks. Um, so we'll see if they can pull it out. Now they're very, very smart people. And, and if anybody can figure this shit out, they will. And also Google announced, oh, I forgot to tell it. Google announced their, their strategy for UA and I was hoping uh, for um, privacy protection. I was hoping that Seifert would be on to explain what this means, but they're doing a two year rollout, which is a lot smoother than Apple in theory. Um, and hopefully their solution is gonna be better than uh, Apple's because Apple's was horrific. Um, so yeah, we'll see about that. And then finally, oh, any comments on Apple 11? No, all right, still front. Oh my God, <laughs> still front just got absolutely clobbered, dude. They were down 16% after hours. Their stock was already down 50%. So overall they're down 60% from kind of their peak. Um, and and I, actually I couldn't find any reports that would kind of like update on what's happening, exactly what's going on. But what I saw from the report is that their organic growth have I said this word before, organic growth? Their organic growth was down 5% in Q4 and it's supposedly down in Q1, although they expect it to be up in Q22 too. The fundamental problem with these aggregating strategies is that you need fucking organic growth, meaning the companies that you acquire build other games that stack across the rest of their portfolio and that's fucking not happening, right? And so they're getting punished for it, right? So we will see about... Um, whether they can do this. I just think, and I've been saying all along, is that this fucking complex studio organization with lack of clear centralized management is a recipe for fucking disaster. My buddy Andrew Green left quietly after one year. Um, I haven't had time to catch up with them, but when you lose your senior VP of growth, that could be a bit of a problem, right? So anyway, I think, again, Silfront, it's executing against games, new games, from these studios that they've acquired in light of the headwinds of IDFA, um, you know, aggregating studios is not sexy unless you can build some good, big incremental games. And so that's what I'll be looking for, for the turnaround of, of, of Stillfront. Um, so good luck to the, that team, I suppose. They have so many um, browser-based and mobile-based Forex strategy games. Like, they better sp uh, spin up a crypto arm. Like, if they want to turn this around, it's I'm land sales and forex wars and crypto. That's that's the way to Ethan, go. Ethan, <laughs> I am going to speak for the benefit of everyone on the podcast audience. Shut the fuck up about crypto. Okay, that is exactly what triggers everybody. Is when you say shit like that, <laughs> and everyone is like losing their goddamn mind. And I'm getting slack. I am getting I am getting notes on slack for this shit. I know you. I know you're fucking. All right, anyway, that's the last thing Stillfront needs is a, is a crypto arm. Yeah, don't do that. Please, Stillfront, don't do that. Fix your shit, man. Fix your business. All right. Now, finally, this was just absolutely 100. percent Ooh, I broke my. Uh, <laughs> this was like just triggered me to death i couldn't believe this reading this bullshit out there right so fucking there was a report out by gartner that was completely being shilled by VentureBeat. i i think VentureBeat is kind of losing all sense of journalistic integrity of, of what they're doing and how they shill everything but the report, <laughs> report title is like the ultimate click clickbait this from gartner 
by 2026, it is predicted 25% of the people will spend an hour per day in the metaverse. Okay, let's cut to the chase here. There is no fucking way 25% of people are spending an hour a day in the metaverse by 2026. Not happening, right? But now, the way they define the metaverse is actually even more ridiculous, right? It's basically saying it's a virtual shared space and it's like the convergence of virtually enhanced physical and digital reality and metaverse is persistent, providing enhanced immersive experience. It's going to be, now, they say it's going to be device independent, but it's going to be one centralized metaverse in which everyone is contributing, basically, I think is what they're trying to say. And it's going to be enabled by fucking digital currencies and non-fungible NFTs. Horseshit. Absolute fucking horseshit. This definition makes no fucking sense. Impossible to happen within 2026. There's no way you see a collection of virtual spaces shared by some virtual platform in, in this in this amount of time. No way, right? Now, if they had said that people be transacting in different metaverses around the ecosystem, I actually might have got behind that, but their definition is, is ridiculous, okay? But I have to admit, for VentureBeat, Gartner, this is like one of the best clickbait titles I've ever seen in my life. It put new, puts Nuzu to shame. <laughs> and the fact that uh, on top of this, that VentureBeat is fucking shilling this shit is, is even more awesome. And the fact that I'm talking about it in the podcast is basically proof positive they that they know what the fuck they're doing yeah. in terms of getting this shit done. So yeah. I am saying, as a professional, do not buy this report. It's total horse shit. Gardner does not have any idea what they're talking about. But uh, good good clickbait report from VentureBeat. Thank you. Anybody else on this? Well, I think it's time right. to make also a Xenomad. Like, I think we want to say about <laughs> NFT. Can we, can we do Supercell first? Just because I don't think yeah. I've got time to get, to yeah, get through yeah. another let's, crypto article. Yeah, <laughs> let's yeah, do yeah, it. Okay, yeah, please. Let's do, right. let's do Supercell. So let's, let's talk about Matt Wolf a little bit later. Okay, folks. Let's take a little break from the conversation. Talk about your post-IDFA cross-platform strategy. More specifically, how you're going to monetize that sweet console and PC audience of yours. Well, here's where Player One comes to the picture, providing a huge revenue opportunity for developers and publishers. In fact, it's the only engagement and monetization platform designed to reward free-to-play console and PC gamers. Now I know what you're thinking. Players don't want to watch ads on console and PC. Well, that's actually not true. According to extensive service with players who are playing the most popular AAA free-to-play games, Player One found an overwhelming desire, 77% to be accurate, by gamers to have an option to earn free in-game content in exchange for watching 15 to 30 second advertisements. Now, the second thing you're thinking about is that you don't want to show other games to your console and PC players. Well, Player One got you covered once again. Firstly, the platform lets gamers decide if they want to watch TV quality brand sponsored videos inside their favorite titles in exchange for cool in-game items and awesome content. Secondly, as I said, Player One's inventory is purely of TV quality brand sponsored videos, so you won't have to worry about churn or build segmentation profiles. Plus, given the fact that the majority of free-to-play players on PC and console never actually spend any money in the live service area of those games, Player One is providing a way for developers and publishers alike to help their loyal players to get access to all the additional content that's being created while maintaining their game's economies. Player One is fully optional for players 
and completely respect respectful of game flow. And for developers, Player One has been proven to drive retention, lifetime value, and additional revenue, all while maintaining monthly active users and reducing churn. Everybody wins with Player One. Gamers unlock immediate rewards. Developers enhance the playing experience and generate passive revenue. And brands connect meaningfully with the most passionate audience in media. Visit playerwon.com to see how it works in practice or get go to the link in this podcast description below. Now, back to the episode. So, um, Supercell's Ilka Bonner, the CEO and founder, uh, released a blog post with the title, Are Our Best Days Behind Us or Ahead of Us? Now, naturally, um, well, here, the main news is the Supercell is back on the growth path after five years of decline. Though, I do have to say that 2016 um, wasn't really a decline per se. It's kind of like a, a, a small dip in overall revenues, but the EBITDA actually went up. So, anyways, well, five years of decline of revenues. The revenue for 2021 was $2.24 billion, and the EBITDA amounted to $852 million. Uh, that means that the revenue grew from 2020, which was the booming year for everybody in, in the gaming. Uh, the revenue grew 46% year over year, and the EBITDA grew 80%. So the, these are just some fantastic numbers. So what caused the growth? Now, um, Ilka doesn't really underline it that much, but I pulled in some data from Sensor Tower. Sensor Tower shows only 7% of revenue growth year over year. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not sure why, you know, of course, Supercell's numbers are correct and then Sensor Tower's numbers are, are, are aggregates. Um, but I think there's also an element of accounting that has to be taken in mind. The way I understood that is that sometimes when you buy digital assets, it actually goes to the next year. But nevertheless... Uh, it shows growth, and based on based on sensor tower data, we can see that the uh, out of five franchises that, that Supercell has in the market, which is Clash of Clans, Brawl Stars, Crash Clash Royale, Heyday, and Boom Beach, in that order, um, Boom Beach continued to decline, but it is uh, a relatively small title in Supercell's portfolio. Though even that game <laughs> makes. Yeah, 37 million, 37 million, uh, uh, which is in net revenue. So probably overall, like uh, as, a, as a sort of a live ops title uh, in in a, in a zombie mode where it just doesn't get even any new content. It makes like 50 to 60 million a year, which is <laughs> insane. Small uh, that's for them, worst great game. for anybody else. Yeah, that's that's super sells like like we're not even going to operate this game. So it just tells you about the scale. Uh, but but nevertheless, the uh, Clash of Clans stayed kind of stable and that's a. Uh, that's a billion dollar a year net revenue game. Uh, Brawl Stars declined. So last year it grew, but that was mainly due to the launch in China. Uh, this year it declined because it didn't have that launch bump. Um, and then Clash Royale, as well as Heyday, those two games really brought it. So so Clash Royale essentially doubled its size. So it's back in making that one billion, uh, no, no, half a billion, even more a year net revenues. Uh, and Heyday as well uh, increased by by thirty five percent. So, so it's really due to no, not seeing decline in Clash of Clans, which they haven't for for years now, for a decade, and to, due to the growth of Clash Royale as well as Heyday, uh, according to Sensor Tower data. Hold on now. Before you continue, we have to basically come to terms with the discrepancy between Sensor Tower and 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 the reported numbers. So, if if they are changing the accounting for. 
2021, we need to know what that number would be for 2020. So we have like to like the comparisons. Yeah. But there's no way they grew 47. What they say, you said 46% year over year. There's no way. Like that's impossible, right? <laughs> because well, the yeah. data is the data, right? Like Central Tower has been spot on on these guys for, for years, right? All of a sudden, like they're off by like a factor of 40%. So anyway, what he needs to do is like report... Uh, the historical data the same way they're reporting 2021 because i just don't exactly see how that's possible exactly they, they they have to report all their numbers due to the finnish legislation so you actually have to show your revenues uh with all the companies and that's that's a public information but again i i don't have the details so i can talk to somebody who is into the accounting of a finnish system that that will tell why how come uh, sometimes they have these uh, like gaming companies especially have these revenues coming a little bit after. But nevertheless, looking at the data, we don't see the decline on sensor tower, which we have been seeing for for a good while. Now, um, going to the blog post itself, uh, I would argue that this is perhaps the most anticipated blog post by a gaming executive every year. Uh, what makes it so good, in my opinion, is that Supercell is, first of all, a quite mysterious company. They don't talk a lot about themselves. There's not a lot of... Uh, they don't attend many of the industry events. They're very closed down. So that, that of course, brings more interest whenever there's uh, somebody talking or somebody from Supercell is, is giving a talk, especially the CEO. Uh, the, this communication style, the way this is written, is always very down-to-earth and quite personal. Uh, I'll go into the details in, in, in this one because this one is, I think, the most personal one. Uh, they use very limited corporate jargon in, in, in these blog posts, which makes it very readable, unlike that Venture Beat article that I read today. Um, they talk mo mainly about the games and the culture, which is what, what the readers wanna, in the industry want to read about. And they're open about their financials, which they essentially have to. So whoever, whoever Supercell uses for a PR agency, uh, other companies should take notice because I think this is a very powerful way to to communicate about your company on a yearly basis. Now, the actual content of the blog post, I like that the uh, in the beginning, Ilka just does this casual little flex that they started the company in 2010. They have had 5 billion downloads since then. Uh, they have 250 million players playing Supercell games every month at the moment. Five games have grossed more than a billion dollars in their lifetime, and two of the games have grossed more than 10 billion in their lifetimes. That's Clash of Clans and Clash Royale. Uh, and naturally he reiterates the company mission, which is to create games that as many people as possible play for years and that are remembered forever. So that's the uh, that's the kind of like the opening salvo and, and sets the uh, the, the presence to come, like um, which which is good, kind of giving the context what, what he explains. Um, he talks a lot about the wake up and the shake up as well as the future of the company. So, quoting him, the fact was that our games had not really grown that much as uh, in the past few years, and also we had not launched a game, new game since Brawl Stars, which was in 2018. Um, he says, we noticed that we had been stuck in some of our old beliefs, that in some cases we had not been able to fully deliver for our players. Now, with these type of sentences, it would be very interesting to hear what are those old beliefs that, that the company is being stuck in. And also in this blog post, he repeats quite a many times, deliver for our players, how important it is to deliver for our players. And it kind of gets on that corporate theme uh, type of a way. But the real meat of the content is something we've been talking on this podcast, something that we've actually written on the uh, on the blog post called uh, 10 Years of Excellence, where we kind of analyzed uh, Supercell's first 10 years. And that is about the team size, especially specifically the team sizes of the live game teams. Now, 
In this blog post, he reiterates that new game teams should be small and lean because that's when the real creativity shines. That's where they, they can move really fast. But live games are large and need to have process. In my opinion, large large games uh, need to have, in my opinion, live games need to be larger teams and have processes. And, and the whole word process is this something that, that would get you ostracized in the uh, in the supercell of the old time. They were very much against the processes, very much like moving fast. Uh, I'm quoting Ilka, he said, we realized we had made the mistake of applying the exact same thinking to both new game teams and live game teams. In extreme cases, we stuck to our mantra of small teams because that was our culture and had not realized that our culture should really be at the service of players and this is i mean this is exactly what what we uh what we wrote about and it, it makes all the sense but they were very uh very much against it we've been talking about this for years since yeah. we started the podcast yes yeah that the live team live game teams are totally different uh than the new game teams it, it is but you know supercell is still very successful despite not um, listening to this podcast, I'm, not, I'm sure they, they don't need to listen to this. Um, so the independence of our teams continues to be sacred in Supercell culture. That's the number one reason we founded the company in the first place. At Supercell, the role of leadership is to put together the best team, but then fully trust them and not to tell them what to do. The way to think about our teams is that they are fully independent companies inside a large company. So... Uh, this is an interesting sentence uh, that Ilka brings forward, and this is very much the mantra of the company. But if I were a betting man, man, I would say that the word independence will be changed to autonomous in around a couple of years. Uh, because with bigger teams, you will have more processes, and with more process, you will have more managers, and with more managers, you will have less independence. Uh, they already have titles like chief game lead that I assume, based on the title, um, is the person that the game leads report to. Uh, they also have instituted a PM function for live games. Uh, they don't call it PMs. Uh, I don't remember what it's being called, but they have been uh, advertising this, this position uh, because previously the game lead was in control of everything. It was like the CEO of the company or the CEO of Apple, meaning like, like the CEO of everything. Uh, and now you have this based on the job description, uh, this PM function that essentially takes over control of the PNL and a lot of the business side. And it becomes the right hand, right hand person of the game lead. So previously it was all under one. Now it's it's two people kind of leading the team. So in short, I don't think the uh, the team size versus culture issue is fully fixed, but I believe that with the changes that they have be, that Irka is talking about, as well as the, the changes they have been undertaking with this PM role, uh, with, with um, you know, chief game lead and new COO, I think they, they, will, they will, you know, not have these issues in the future. Um, there were other stuff in the, in the blog post, they talk about the investments of, the, of backing the like-minded game studios. In this blog post, they actually had less stuff about investments because you know, till date, I think only Merge Mansion from Metacore has been really successful. And historically, they backed the studios that kind of looked up to Supercell and perhaps didn't really give anything to Supercell in return, uh, other than maybe even more work because they kind of expected Supercells to help them. So, as I said in the in the, in the uh, I wrote actually in, in the in the uh, deconstruction a long time ago with uh, with that ten years of excellence is. What would have been really cool for Supercell is actually to acquire companies like Small Giant, Gram Games, Peak Games, Reworks, Seriously. These companies that became pretty big but but had their own way, own way of growth and, you know, small teams but still really, really powerful. I think that would have um, 
influence Supercell's culture a little bit faster as well. So they would have gained more from them than actually um, with, with the ones that they've been investing, perhaps or not. I don't know. But anyways, small important takeaways you might have missed when reading this. Uh, one is the sentence that Ilka wrote is, I truly believe that companies do not fail because they take risks, but because they stop taking risks. And this is, of course, we've know many successful companies that are absolutely amazing at operating games and they can't really grow unless they acquire new games. Um, on, on taking older ownership, I think this is fantastic because uh, Ilka writes that ultimately this course was my mistake. As the CEO, I should have challenged our existing ways of thinking and our culture. I realized that I was actually the one who had the fixed mindset stuck in the thinking from our past. Definitely one of the, my biggest mistakes that, of the many that I made in my career and one that I will remember forever. Like very rare you see CEO taking ownership and this is like fantastic. Um, it's, it's just, I love reading stuff like this. He's, he's, a, he's a true leader. Um, extra content for players come at expense of people's health and even lead to symptoms of burnout. So uh, they talk, he talks about that, that they had to you know, churn more content in the games. And yes, even at Supercell, not everybody's happy and not everybody has perfect work-life balance. And yes, Supercell is a high-stress environment where you can, can't just clock in. The culture is built on the same premises as Netflix culture. So there's a lot of need to, to execute. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, not a, it's not, you know, no place is perfect. Um, yeah, and then final one is like we, we also reminded ourselves that we should reinstate our habit of celebrating failures with champagne. So we know that, that you know, the, uh, the constant mantra has been that when a game fails at Supercell, they drink champagne. Well, apparently that hasn't been always happening. So, so what I want to just say is like, like even though these blog posts give a nice glimpse into the company, this is still company PR. And I'm saying this because I, I see so many people reading these blog posts and they probably imagine that Ilka is in his, in his office and he's just, you know, typing this away when in fact, you know, he, he has all these ideas and of course he works with the whole team that, that, that makes this, but it's still in the end a polished version of his thoughts. So this is company PR. You have to take it with a grain of salt, but when it comes to company PRs, in my opinion, this is the best one. So that's my short analysis. But overall, this is good news, right? Yeah, they they this learned. Is fantastic right? like they, news. they learned about live and how different the requirements are on both. I think it was, you know, very humble of him to be able to come out and say like, "I've, I've got this wrong," and um, I'm. I think this is a good change for the company um, to yeah. be able to invest more in live. I don't think I would knock them at all for this. Um, this is what they need to do for for building up their games because they have still like they have so much life left in Clash of Clans, Brawl Stars, yeah. Clash Royale, Heyday, Boom Beach, right? Um, that they could be getting even higher growth numbers if they can find the right way to invest in live without um, killing their independent culture. Um, I, I don't think any of this is going to be easy, but I'm not going to knock them. This is, a, yeah. this is a good change. Yeah, live, live services. Oh, Eric, you're muted. Oh, you're, you're ranting to no one. You're muted. Yeah, Chris, you're <laughs> muted. <laughs> there you go, Ethan. All right, can I summarize this really quickly, yeah. Mr. Mishka, too many words? Yeah. Is yes, they are continuing to have small teams to build new games and they're expanding their teams for live operations for their existing games. And they're, they've been successful right? at it. That, that's the new strategy, yeah. right? But uh, again, <laughs> okay, good for them. I think it's great. You know, their games are amazing, right? Let's yeah. invest. Yeah. All right.
being being um being on a live team is hard i mean it's a marathon that never ends and if i like supercell has all the resources in the world i've always fantasized about having a four-day team and a three-day team so that you have full coverage over the week and you're architecting it to avoid burnout because it really reads like to me, probably they lost some key people or a bunch of people quit or threatened to quit because the pressure of having small teams on live ops, it can just break the most talented, most dedicated person. Right. Yep. And I think even with the talent density that they have, right, they're still going to be able to get away with smaller live teams than a competitor, right? They're going to be smarter about the way that they deploy content. Um, but at the same time, like you can't compete with the Mioho 2000 developer thing that we just mentioned mm. with a smaller team, no matter how amazing your talent density is, right? It's just, that's live. All right, let's finish this thing off. You got to go, Adam? I got to go. Sorry, guys. All right, later, yeah, dude. Adam. Um, okay, final article. Or yeah, Ethan, maybe we'll do your article next time. <laughs> All right, Matthew Wolf, back in the news or in the news for the first time. Uh, Besides, you know, asking for employees, I think was the other thing he came out with. Why Zynga is diving into blockchain games. Um, so this was uh, an article again by our friends at VentureBeat. <laughs> this was Dude. a good one, though. This was a good... No, I think it was a good one. It was a good It was fucking, you know, Dean motherfucking Takashi. <laughs> He's the, the man, of the myth, the legend. Um, interviewed our friend, Mr. Matthew Wolf. Four months after starting his gig as the NFT czar at Zynga. And uh, he gets a fluff piece of Venture Beat. Big surprise. And and it didn't disappoint, honestly. I thought it was pretty good uh, overall. The big theme, you know, play and apart together, I think, was blanketed through this. I don't even know if that's a theme, but that's what the uh, the key art was for the article. I think that, um, that was a hashtag said, you know, marketing. Hiring for key positions, including lead producer, creative director, and art director. So... Full, full court press on, on building his team. So it was basically a series of questions that was asked by Dean and his response. And so I was going to give him a little bit of a scorecard, um, but some of the questions got a little bit duplicative. So I, I, I did do a few. Okay. First of all, the first question, what do you think of the blowback from the core gaming community regarding NFTs? Matt completely fucking punts this thing, right? And, and he does it masterfully, really. And he says it was overall a positive. He's not seeing any blowback at all, right? So uh, one negative point for Mr. Wolf. That is complete bullshit. <laughs> That's not true. The negative feedback has been like universal about this shit, right? So, um, but now the second question, he basically talks about um, the strategy on what you're ta targeting. And the, sorry, his strategy in terms of who he is targeting for this new game that's coming from Zynga. And on this response, I think he's fucking spot on. He said, we're creating our first product from a ground up with crypto, with the crypto speculator, crypto whale, and hardcore enthusiasts in mind. And he, he, he goes on to say that we're not looking at hyper casual fans, um, but we are basically looking at folks that are consuming this stuff. This is the correct approach. Yeah. Point one for Mr. Wolf. This is exactly what I've been saying for the last like, six months on this bullshit, right? Go after the crypto bros. They're the ones that are you playing these things. Don't make a fucking shooter. You yeah. know, don't make, a, don't make a casual game, right? That's not who's fucking in crypto. All right, so one and one for this guy so far. Third question, how are you approaching NFT and crypto expertise 
Another brilliant answer. We are building an internal capability. Yes. It is important that we have the company to future-proof itself. Yes. We believe that this market will continue and expand it and we need to be ready for it. And we need to build internal capability. That includes building an internal studio and then also fortifying it with outside expertise, which includes Forte. Point for Mr. Wolf. Two and one so far. Uh, I think that's brilliant. That's exactly what I've been saying to anybody who will listen to me about crypto. <laughs> We've all been um, saying work, work with Forte. Last question, or the second question, the other question, will this be a mobile game first or cross-platform PC? He successfully punted on this question because I don't think he has a fucking idea of what this thing is coming on. Um, so he basically, his response is wherever Web3 exists, which is doesn't really answer the fucking question, but that's okay. Uh, I'm going to exclude this from the count because this is a punt. Um, the fourth question. It sounds like you want to mix together what you might call crypto native and gaming, native people to get crypto, crypto savvy product. Right. right, right. Hold on. Now I'm confused. Oh, anyway, this is the same fucking question as the one before. Dean probably was not listening. It sounds I, like I Dean was asking about the composition of people making the game. And that's good. So I'm giving him a point to this one because he's basically saying, look, we're not building this for everybody. We're building this for crypto bros. Okay, done. All right. Um, how did you get interested in the space? Okay, then this is where he starts to fall off the rails a little bit. He talks about his tech background. He's been around for games for a long time. He advised epics.gg and he saw the potential. Then he goes on this history of games and how he evolved from a $60 product to free to play. And now this is another potential era, all this other shit. This fall flat for me, right? I, I just don't see how he participated in this evolution besides being a spectator. So I don't really understand why he's speaking as an expert, right? So uh, moving on, he's three and two so far. Um, I said, what about reg regular hur hurdles? Oh, again, he falls, falls flat on this one. He basically says, he just punts on the question altogether. He doesn't even answer the question because he doesn't understand, I'm sure, how challenging this is gonna be from a regulatory perspective. All he says is we are building a product that is sustainable fund, delivers good value for folks. That wasn't the question, Mr. Matt. How are we gonna deal with the regulatory issues? Point against. Now he's three and three. Now he starts to pick up steam. Again, I like this guy. I'm, he's, he's understanding things in some ways and he's punting, maybe he's punting on the right questions. I don't know. The next question, how are you going to have, how are you going to have more fun with these type of games? So Dean is meant, kind of like articulating a skepticism of this. And he says, that is a great question. And he says, I don't know. This is a big challenge. How do you make a trading system fun? Point to Wolf. He's being honest because it's not fun, right? <laughs> it's not about fun. It's about building like trading systems, right? This is what this, these games are going to be like for the next three or four years. This is not like having, this is not fun, right? So I'm giving him a point for this because I think he was honest about it. Um, and then backing up a little, was there anything that you and Frank talked about that made you decide that this is the right company for you to do this at? Now, this is the right answer for how he became czar in his own words, right? He was, Bing is a friend and he's on the board. He's known Bernard Kim for a decade and he's worked with Frank at EA. Point to him for being fucking honest, right? That's how he got the job. He's friends with all these guys. <laughs> Otherwise, he's likely not that he qualified, didn't, He right? didn't mention the BMI. So five and three for the questions that mattered. The rest was kind of garbage, right? Um, so overall, I think Wolf performed perfectly. This is exactly what he wants to be doing, right? And the, the two things that he got right 
perfectly was build internal expertise with the help of, of, of Forte, focus on games for these crypto lunatics, spending insane amounts of money on NFTs and exploiting third world countries. And I think this article may be alone to turn my, cha turn my tune on Mr. Wolf because ultimately he's basically come to the same conclusions that I have over the last six months. So he can't be all that bad, right? So good, my hat's off to Mr. Matt Wolf on his crypto, his first venture into crypto PR with uh, our ever friends uh, at, uh, at uh, whatever you call Venture Beat. Um, all right. What do you think, Mr. Ethan? Uh, how, did I, how did I do? I, I, I agree that... that uh, oh, you're Matt, muted. I'm muted? No. No? Can you not... I no. think Eric can't hear me because I've been making great singers this whole time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know Eric what's going just, on. He's in his own own um, own metaverse. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> he can't right. hear anybody. Well, uh, I'll, so my I, I agree. He did really well, um, especially on like the targeting of their first game. Right, if if you go to my blog, I wrote um, a piece about the Worms backlash, where I said, "Hey, I was at EA making social games for gamers." Right, I made a a, a with the team, obviously. I'm just a part of it. But uh, I worked on a, a Dragon Age Facebook game, and our mantra was social games for gamers. And Frank Jabot and, and John Ricciatello loved it. They played, They were higher level in that game than I was, but the revenue wasn't there. And the mistake we made was thinking we were going to bring the gamer audience into a new business model and not make a game for the people that were showing up for that business model. Um, so I think it's very smart that they're saying it's the right strategy, that they're making a game for the people who are there for crypto and they're not falling into the trap that Ubisoft and team 17 and GSC have with trying to bring their gamer audience who are tribally against crypto right now into their games, into crypto. So uh, really liked that answer. I mean, I'm not surprised he didn't have an answer for how to make these things fun. You know, if I'm remembering right, his background is marketing, not game design or product management or game production like but i'm in it because i do think that we can make games that are more fun uh for the gamers because of for the players because of crypto like that's actually what i see um and and specifically my belief is that players spend millions of dollars in free-to-play games on assets that they don't own and where the uh developer has the incentive to sell them as much as possible every week and I think that crypto is going to make things more fun by focusing the developers on long-term retention of those players and maintaining the in-game usefulness of those assets they own. And that will make playing games that are like Puzzle and Empire or Game of War or Mobile Strike or any of these games, uh, even even Clash Royale, right? Like the, it, I think these games will be more fun for players because the developers will be making better long-term choices for those players that will help maintain the value of the things they've worked on and the things they've played. And I don't mean financial value, I mean in-game usefulness. Um, so maybe someone on his team can coach him on that. But I agree, overall, this was a, a, a really interesting interview, and I think Matt Wolf did uh, well. And I yeah. still envy I, his I BMI. Admit, he, I think... Of course, <laughs> and his best his his Patagonia game top notch. I can't I can't pull it off. <laughs> anyway, well, yeah, I was I was actually really impressed with the article. It seemed very honest, um, generally speaking, except for the uh, 
kind of the punting on on regulatory and platform. I mean, he should have said, "We'll solve that thanks to our friends and partnership with Forte." Like that's a big pillar of Forte's yeah, premise. Yeah, no, no, that would be a better response. Yeah. You know, that's what Forte does. They're one of their expertise is managing this yeah. thing. So it's a, and we have an offshore company in Bermuda that, that, that's going to help manage. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real answer, uh, right? You can't be a real. You can't be a real. Uh, uh, you can't be a real company in this space without being. Um, a BVI headquartered yeah. in in yeah. remote locations like in, in Crete. <laughs> All right. Do- On that note, thank you very much for listening, uh, Ethan. Do you have final final words? Well, I was just. Do we have three minutes just to tell this funny story? It's a little late though. Um, no. It's a. Next time. Next time. I'll next save time, it for next time. It'll next still time, be Ethan. hilarious. It, it, next it time. It won't go. It will still be hilarious. Crypto got gonged off. So- That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, my fault for, for having technical issues. Otherwise, we would have covered it on time. So everybody have a great week. Uh, you'll see us next time. I'll probably record from Germany uh, next week. So moving around, hoping this mic works. Um, yeah. <laughs> Get a note, Mac. If you're in Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, yeah, I, I need to return back to Mac. Um, yeah, Istanbul event. Link in the description. DM Eric, DM Ethan, DM Adam. Don't DM me. I don't Send me your hate. Send <laughs> 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 Ethan, Ethan your hate. Um, <laughs> goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Later.